0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this experience before. The one particularly that sticks in my mind fairly recently was just a few months ago. We had kind of uh, done some things over here and, and uh, uh, torn some chairs down and done some things. And uh, it was kind of chaos in the room after worship service. Uh, one of your little ones, it wasn't my little one, one of your little ones comes up and just attaches um, himself to my leg. Like just came up and wrapped um, around my leg. And so um, without like me, because he was in me to go like this. I mean, it was, it was just this. But I didn't. But I didn't. Without trying to be the creepy guy, I just reached out and pat him on the head, you know, everything, you just kind of keep talking, whatever. There came a point, though, where a little bit looked up and was like, you are not my dad! <laughs> and the sheer look of terror has come over their face, and you're like, ah! um, to, that is the appropriate response. When you go snuggling up and you wrap your and somebody you know tussles your hair and you're like, wait a minute! Uh, Today we're going to encounter some folks who wrapped their arms, if you will, around the wrong dad and didn't and didn't respond in terror, and that that's part of the problem. And so in John chapter eight, we're going to start here in verse thirty-seven. Um, and really, I'm just trying to tour guide through this passage, and I'll try to point out three big things along the way. Uh, but we're going to start at verse 37. Uh, I know this is Jesus talking, and he's talking to Jews who had given him some pushback um, about what some of the things that he had said. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do not. Excuse me, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answer him. Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Let's pause right there. Um, There are two fathers, two wrong fathers, if you will, uh, that Jesus identifies. They thought um, that they had kind of wrapped their arms because of their pedigree, their um, quite literal genetic heritage. They thought they had wrapped their arms around Father Abraham's leg, but they didn't. And Jesus points this out. Um, Jesus is very clear, Abraham, you think, just because you're ethnically linked um, to Abraham, uh, that, that you're okay. But the reality is, is that it is the ethic link, that's the issue. They wrapped their arms around Father Abraham, thinking, we're ethnically connected. But ethically, they are not, it's why specifically he says, um, uh, Abraham, they answered him, verse uh, 39. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. Um, It it is not enough to claim pedigree and believe that you're okay with God. And depending upon where you grew up and the environment in which you grew up, the house in which you grew up, the um, religious um, kind of culture in which you grew up, some people think exactly that. Well, I grew up in this kind of family or was in this kind of thing or this kind of situation and therefore Jesus and I, we're okay. But if we cannot rely on our pedigree, and think that we can, because we're in already, we can just wrap our um, legs, if you will, wrap our arms around Father Abraham's leg, and it'd be okay. Jesus is clear about this. Ethnically linked is not it. There's an ethical part about this. The second part, he continues, verse 40. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. There's that ethical side. Verse 41. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So now they've they've upped the ante here. It's not Father Abraham they're holding on to. It's God but the reality is look at what jesus responds verse 42 jesus said to them if god were your father you would love me for i came from god and i'm here i came not of my own accord but He sent me. why do you not understand what i say it is because you cannot bear to hear my word they wrapped their arms around this and jesus is saying god is not your father how do you know well you neither hear the messenger or the message that he's bringing you neither hear the messenger if, if, if you, verse 42, if God were your father, you, you would love me. And you don't, nor do you hear the messenger, verse 43, it's because you cannot bear to hear my word. Again, depending upon the environment in which you find yourself, in which you grew up, to which you were exposed, you may think, okay, I really think I'm okay here. And what I want to say um, to you is that there's no way of getting around, in the mind of Jesus or in this particular situation, there's no way of getting around the individual responsibility to know who God is and respond to him accordingly. Two wrong fathers. Now, I mean, if you have this encounter with Jesus, maybe just maybe you look up and you have that moment where you're like, "Ah!" (laughs) they did not they did not and so Jesus specifically goes after um, uh, th- their um, he goes after their worldview they think that they're safe and then he just he, he brings it you ready verse 44 you I please try this at your next dinner party okay like I would love to know how this shakes out for you uh, you are of uh, your father the devil I, I would love to know if like if you roll that out sometime you just let me know how the response goes. <laughs> Um, d- don't really try that. Like some of you are like, that's weird that he would say that. I just thought it would be funny if you tried it. Uh, let me know. You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. And then listen how he describes it. Okay? So, again, one more time. Your will is to do the, uh, the things that he desires. There's this ethical connection fatherhood is not about the kind of genetic link, it is about the ethical link, so you're of your father devil, you're willing to do your father's desires he was a murderer, this is how he starts he was a murderer from the beginning you're of your father devil he is a murderer from the beginning what, what does that mean? Well, Jesus is pointing backwards to the garden story in the garden story, what do we find? Adam, Eve um, the enemy comes in Satan comes in, he's you know, formed up like a serpent, so to speak. And you got this talking uh, reptile there, and he speaks, and temptation happens. Eve takes, gives it to her husband who's with her. They fall. And what is the result of that fall? The, the result of that fall is, is death. This is exactly what God promised. Don't eat in that tree, because the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And when they, Did they die in that moment? No, they didn't. Not like right then. It wasn't just like lights out. But the kind of death... That they experienced might have been worse than even that. Because they were immediately separated from God. They knew their sin. They knew their shame. And there were catastrophic generational consequences. Because the next story, after you get past Genesis 3, is a story of about two brothers, Cain and Abel. Anybody know what happened in the end with those two? Death. Cain murders Abel. And you just, you just watch as, as the story unfolds. There's this culture, if you will, of death that just keeps going. It's not only, though, when, when the scripture describes Satan as the murderer from the beginning, it is not only the destruction of the, if you will, the bios, the biological life which we have, although he would love for that to be the case and is built a culture to try to make that happen as much as possible. It's not only that, though. It's also the shrinkage, if you will, the, the the pull back from all of the things that God would have for us, from all the, what the scripture would call the abundant life that he wants to give us. Here in just a couple of chapters, we're going to encounter Jesus talking and he says, um, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, which we'll talk about in just a minute. I've come that you might have life and might have it either abundantly or to the full, like sheer to the top, even where once you fill it up, you put like a few more drops in there and it kind of has that little hump there. That's the kind of life that he wants to provide for us. And when he says he's a murderer from the beginning, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about pulling back from that. Uh, this this life of freedom and purpose and consequence. He wants to bring the kind of culture of death to that. So let's just bring it down to where we live here. What what would death look like if death and darkness, if if death and darkness invaded your thought life? What would that look like? Some of you know.
1: If death
0: and darkness invaded your emotional life, what would that look like? And again, some of you know. If death and darkness came into your habits, what would that look like? Some of you know. It's the reason why you go, just one more glass. Just one more video. If, if death and darkness came into your relationships, what would that look like? More distance, more secrecy, less intimacy, less connectedness. If death and darkness came into your service, like how you express your uh, a purpose in the world, what would that look like? At your job, at your home, um, in your own just uh, relationships in your neighborhood or on the ball field or wherever it may be. If, if death and darkness came into your life in the kind of sphere or domain of meaning, like how would death and darkness bear down on your sense of purpose and meaning in life? Or on your future. If death and darkness came into your the, the, the realm of your life where you think about your future, if death and darkness reigned there... He who was the murderer from the beginning. What would that look like? When we talk about he's a murderer and has done so from the beginning, his agenda is always death. And though your physical body may continue on, what he is after here is something uh, more devastating than even just your physical body quitting. He's after the complete kind of devastation and death. Secondly, look how he describes it. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. I'm still in verse 44. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Anybody have Elf in their mind when you hear that? You lie. You sit on the throne of lies. Anybody? No? Yeah. Thank you. Okay, you're with me. Appreciate that. Uh, it's the only Will Ferrell movie I actually like, so there you go. All right, so um, I don't know why I said that. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar uh, and the father of lies. But look, look at what he says. There is no truth in him. He does not stand in the truth. So there's nothing in him that would promote the kind of truth. Um, there's nothing around him. He doesn't stand in the truth. There's no environment in which the truth interacts with him or affects him. And then lastly, um, he, when he speaks, he uh, speaks out of his own character. So it is so permeated in him that there's nothing else that can come out of him. When Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is overflowing, if you will, in the, in the devil's heart is this kind of lie, this kind of darkness, this kind of Kind of death and deception and out of that comes so whenever you hear the enemy speaking he's speaking a lie that's what you need to know what, what would that sound like well I'm going to use those three things we talked about earlier the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy try these on for sense. Um, you need that and you need it now you may need it but I'm telling you you need it right now this could be something material or something else Part of the challenge, I think, uh, of that is, is uh, pushed by our kind of microwave culture where we're like, of course we need this, and we need this now. Of course we do. And sometimes, uh, instead of waiting, like the, the very thing that would <laughs> uh, help us grow and become who God wants us to be is actually the waiting part, even though we don't love it. And the enemy comes along, you need that, and you need that now. And this is what stealing looks like. Th- thank you. I will take it. I'm in, I feel entitled to this. Secondly, maybe it sounds like uh, this is really living. Like this, this is really living. He comes to steal, steal, and to kill. And, and sometimes the, the way that he expresses that lets us uh, buy into uh, the lie that whatever's going on in that moment, whatever's happening around there, is uh, shaping um, th- this kind of circumstance in which i am find this, this is what's really living. And what it could be is actually really dying. And lastly, uh, leave that for this. To steal and to kill and to destroy. Leave that for this. I know you're in this right here, but it's kind of dissatisfying and sometimes it's hard. So let's pick up from here and go over here to this. Let's leave that for this. How many people in their 40s and 50s have done exactly that? And thrown away decades of investment and goodness for they've left that for this. He's a liar, he's the father of all lies. When he talks about stealing, you need that now. Killing. This is really living. No, it could be really dying. Destroy. Leave that for this. He, he is he is so crafty that he will actually at times let your life go well. So that you just drift into one of these. He's not not mounting a full frontal assault. He's not going to show up in his own Halloween costume, horns, uh, pitchfork, tail, whole thing. Hi, I'm here to destroy your life. I'm hoping this is okay. Trick or treat, by the way. That's not how he's approaching you. Some of us, he, he will leave alone. And in doing so, by leaving us alone, the kind of uh, uh, comfort, if you will, that that, uh, evolves into apathy, or I should say, devolves into apathy. And the current and the wind is slow, but it is certain. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves far, far removed from where we should be, where we want to be, and far from the truth, which we claim is ours, he'll let you drift. The, the terror in all of this is that there is a little kernel of truth in most of what he says. It's not the full truth, which is why it's alive, lie, but there's typically a kernel of truth. It's why sin is actually kind of fun. And there's some pleasure, even if it comes with some pain. Last thing, you're the father. Your father, of the devil. He's a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar, the father of lies, and, and this is what he does. He calls Jesus. He calls Jesus into question, starting in verse forty-five. Now, but because I tell you the truth, if you do not believe me, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. By by exposing Satan, Jesus is accused of actually being Satan, or at least being controlled by him. And typically, there's kind of three um, questions that that come around Jesus. They're exposed here in the text. Here we go. Number one, he questions the identity of Jesus. Back uh, back up to verse 41. You are doing, Jesus is speaking, you are doing your works the Father did. So they said to him, listen we were not born of sexual immorality. that's a weird thing to roll out isn't it I mean isn't that weird like that's a strange thing to say except that Jesus was kind of a local celeb and they knew enough of the backstory to know that Mary is there anything scandalous about Christmas or is it all you know Santa Claus and cool stuff like that oh a teenage mom shows up ultimately Mary's an older guy Well, the Holy Spirit did this. I mean, can you imagine rolling that out? You'd be like, oh. So, yes, there's absolutely scandal around Christmas. And they, I think, and this is how they do it. They kind of wink and point and go, (laughs) we weren't born of sexual immorality. Questioning his identity. It probably sounds different today. But don't make a mistake that that is one of the things that he often does. Uh, secondly, it questions the connection, something along the lines of, I, "I'm not real sure that you that you are one of us." Skip down to verse forty-eight now. The Jews answered him, "Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan?" Um, the Samaritans were uh, folks who had been displaced. Uh, in the 8th century BC and uh, because they had been conquered by uh, the Assyrian Empire and they had been uh, uh, moved out of their land and moved to a different place and then some of them came back but they intermarried and they created their own uh, version of of the Jewish religion and they had their own temples and their own stuff that they worship, their own idols, this kind of thing. And so those who remained uh, faithful to Yahweh to the guy of the Old Testament, as it, as it was revealed at the time, they looked down on these people. It's why Chapter Four was so scandalous when uh, Jesus was speaking to a woman by a well, who was a Samaritan woman. You being a Jew, why do you speak to me as Samaritan? Questions this connection. I don't. I don't think you're actually one of us. You don't think like us or look like us or maybe you don't talk like us. Questions that connection. Um, and, and lastly it, there again in verse 48 aren't you always right in saying that you're a Samaritan? and have a demon well just go ahead and roll that one out <laughs> Jesus answered I don't have a demon I honor my father you dishonor me they question his agenda what like what are you about here because there is a what we're experiencing is that you're doing stuff that people ought not do questions his agenda now if you're a smart people and I know you are you're thinking to yourself okay So the enemy comes along, he's a murderer from the beginning. He's the father of lies, and that's bad. Um, These lies express themselves in certain ways, and it sounds maybe different in my personal life than your personal life, but generally they kind of land in those places. Uh, There are questions that get um, uh, 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 stirred up around Jesus about who he is and who he's connected to and what he's actually doing, all this kind of stuff. But how do I know? If he's so good at lying, how do I know if it's the enemy? I'm so glad you asked because I think the text actually helps us here. How do I know if it's Satan? One thing before we we actually dig into the text here. If you want to know where Satan tends to be at work the most and where he lies the loudest, look for the places where Jesus is being revealed where he is being understood, where he is being believed, and where he is being followed. Those four things. Where Jesus is being revealed, where he is being understood, where he is being uh, believed, and where he is being followed. I say that because some of us grew up and we survived the '90s in, uh, in late, late 80s and early 90s in Christianville. We made it. And what we figured out was that indeed, although there were books that promoted this, Satan is literally not under every rock. I don't know if you remember going through this, some of you who lived through that, but you'd like pick up the keyboard and Satan would be right there. And you'd uh, pull this box up that I occasionally annoyingly step on, and Satan would be in there. And you'd walk into your office, oh, under the keyboard, oh no, it's the enemy. And all this kind of, and Satan got blamed, and he, we felt his presence absolutely everywhere. He was under every rock. No, sometimes I can mess things up all on my own. Yeah, anybody? We figured that out pretty quick too. While we don't want to push him to the level of, I think I'll just ignore him. We also want to be, don't want to become hypersensitive and give him far more credit than he deserves. So how do we know if it's Satan? These two things I'll just point to here. Again, you want to know where he's lying the loudest, where he's most active. Look for the place where Jesus revealed, understood, believed, and followed. The best understanding of who Satan is and what he's about occurs in the context of understanding who Jesus is, so that's where we start. Verse forty-six. Which one of you convicts me of sin if I tell you the truth? Why don't you believe me? Why don't you believe me? Uh, nobody in that conversation, and nobody in here, can convict Jesus of sin. Nobody. The, the question on the table is: Is he right? And the answer is undoubtedly so. That's part of what it means to be a Christian and a follower of His—is to say. Jesus, you're right. I may not like it, I may not feel it, I may not want it, but you're right. I may wish it were different, I may hope it changes down the road, I may wish that some experience of mine would allow me to step into some other place, but right now, I know that you're right, and this is the path that I'm supposed to be on, so this is the path I'm going to walk. Who Jesus is. Uh, secondly, uh, he will call into question not only who he is, but also uh, what Jesus says. Verse 45, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. And don't miss that. It's because he told them the truth that they couldn't. Not like in spite of him telling them the truth, they couldn't believe. The truth was like the sun on their concrete hearts. And all it was doing was hardening it up. They couldn't believe. They were in the realm of the truth, speaking to the one who is the living truth, and they could not believe. Jesus keeps telling them the truth, and they simply, they simply could not believe. And then verse 47 Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them, why? You're not of God. That's why. That's why. I had a conversation earlier. This just, just happened, uh, I don't know, an hour plus ago. Somebody was describing somebody that they loved, and they said, oh, right now, he's a brick wall. Two things. Number one, there's no amount of argumentation that's going to get you through a brick wall, is there? You can stand there and fuss at the brick wall all you want to, and it will not get you through. There has to be something more powerful than brick. I got good news. There is. So for all of you, this is free. This is not in the notes. This is free for all of you holding out hope for someone who feels like a brick wall. Jesus is in the business of changing people's hearts of stone and giving them hearts of flesh. He can do that. The the, the problem with these folks here is they, they were the little kid who wrapped themselves around somebody's leg, got their hair tussled, and then they looked up and they figured out it wasn't their dad at all. And they weren't terrified by that. That's the issue. Their spiritual state was such that they thought, for whatever reason, that they were doing the right thing. So, how does Jesus respond? Um, he responds the, the way that he's been responding, like for about four chapters now. Somebody be like, "Dude, you keep saying the same things over and over and over again." I know because Jesus keeps saying the same things over and over and over again. How does Jesus respond? Here he goes. Um, He starts by what he's been been doing. He's been promising life. He stands there and he just offers life. Look at verse 50. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Let's pause right there. Glory was the kind of weight, and consequential uh, a nature of life, and he's saying, hey, I'm not here making a big deal of myself, there's somebody who does that for me, you, you seek your own glory, and there is a kind of self-designed, self-sought glory, weightiness, consequential um, nature, consequence, if you will, that is not in line with God's word, it is not in line with God's work, it is not in line with God's honor, and there's no life in the middle." It's especially bad when you have to use God to give meaning and consequence to your life. Hey, God, come on, come on, get on my side here. He's promising life, but the glory, the kind of self seeking glory, that's not life at all. Keep going. Verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Do you hear that promise? Think about that. Um, There are people um, that we love who are um, in the winter seasons of their life. And one of the things that they get to hold on to is that there will come a moment if they are followers of Jesus, believers in Him, if they, um, have, been, if they have experienced the amazing grace that we've talked about, the forgiveness that is ours, that the eternal life has been birthed in them, there will come a moment when their, like, earth suit, if you will, their body will stop and they will take their last breath and the very next breath will be in the presence of Jesus Himself. They never taste death. They don't miss a beat. We miss them, but they don't. They don't miss it. Either. Hold on to that, I promise you all. It is a life so amazing, and it is a, a reality so strong that death can deal a blow, but it doesn't have the final say. It's not ultimately, just think about this, death is not ultimately fatal. Keep going, verse 52, they said to them, now, they, now we know that you have a demon, Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And what's the answer to that? Uh, Yeah. The prophets died. Why do you, excuse me, and then here's the question. Who do you make yourself out to be? In other words, who do you think you are? Seriously. Why are you saying these things? Who do you think you are? They had it right on this. That the identity of Jesus was the key thing in understanding his fulfilling the promises that he was making to them. When he looks at Mary uh, and Martha later, or Martha in, in chapter uh, 11, it says, hey, you need to know I am the resurrection of the life. I'm not just bringing it like it's some commodity. I am the resurrection. This is what he's the kind of thing he's talking about. The promises were based on his identity. We'll just keep reading. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I didn't know him, I'd be a liar like you. <laughs> That's hilarious to me. Um, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Now, the second thing that he does is in verse 56 your father abraham rejoiced that he would see my day and he saw it and was glad and they just went poof, poof. what how how is this the case but how but because jesus is fulfilling these promises. He promises life and he's fulfilling them. He is the Messiah. All of the promises of the Messiah, they are coming to fulfillment in him. In Genesis chapter 3, this is where it starts. Hey, there's going to come uh, a day when a seed of the woman will come and the enemy, Satan, he will strike the heel, that he will land a blow. But man, you need to know, there is going to be a crushing of the serpent's head. Bam! And um, there's a better follower than Abraham himself. One who leaves a place and goes to a different place and offers a sacrifice there. There's a follower who's better than that. There is a revealer of God who is a prophet and better than Moses. There is a priest who is better than Aaron who steps into uh, the Holy of Holies to offer not the blood of animals but his own blood. And there is a king who is better than David. And just like Adam and Eve had their own temptation in the garden and fell. There is one who will meet another temptation in another garden, and he will succeed. If there's any way out of this, God, please, nevertheless, not what you want, what I, not what I want, what you want. That's that's what I want. I really do want what you want. He's the Messiah. Fulfilling promises there. And then lastly, he's, he's claiming divinity. No questions asked. Verse 57, Jesus. Uh, so the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus himself hid and went out of the temple. Before Abraham was, I am. What's he doing? He's putting himself in the burning bush. He encounters, Moses encounters God there at the burning bush. Uh, what, what, what am I supposed to tell these people? And Jesus says, to them, excuse me, the Lord says to Moses, hey, you just tell him I am sent you, I know, but what's your name? I am Jesus is planting himself in that story going, by the way I was the guy talking and what did it do? it made him so mad, they picked up stuff and throw him. sometimes stuff Jesus says makes us so mad we want to throw some stuff, yeah because he goes messing with my perfectly comfortable life I've been thinking about this a lot lately the fulfilling promises of Jesus the Messiah and and the clear authority of Jesus the Son of God. And those are messages that we need to hear. And it's on that basis that Jesus can promise life. How? Because the only way that that makes it the only way he claims, hey, listen, those who believe in me, they don't even taste death. The only reason, that that is a reality, is because you don't have to taste death because Jesus did. He went to the tomb on our behalf. While we didn't, we, we would not have been able to survive death, he went to the tomb on our behalf and in tasting death for us, he conquered death for us so that life really could be ours. If you're here this morning and you're holding out hope, oh, please let this be true. I want you to know Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God has promised you that this is true. And he offers life. A kind of life that is indestructible. Yes, even by death. Let's pray. Uh, Father, please set this down on us personally, individually, in the ways that it needs to. Uh, As we take a moment to respond, I ask that you would um, whatever specifically had our name on it, uh, you would inscribe it in places that we need to hear it, see it, believe it, respond to it, whatever it may be. Please keep the enemy and all distractions away in this moment and just let your people sit in your presence. Holy Spirit, just like in Genesis 1, kind of hover over us in this moment and and bring life. Bring life. Um, Do that now. Do it for Jesus' sake. And we ask Him in His name.